Hello, good afternoon. Um, Zach Lucas from McCarthy Denning. Uh, just going to commence this uh, uh, webinar early so that we can go through and explain who the participants are and also some of the virtual roundtables that will be held uh, later on this month and going into uh, to next month. So just uh, to, to run through some of the program that we can expect to see in the, uh, in the coming weeks. Um, obviously, we'll have the trustee liability private client virtual roundtable um, that will be held on the 8th of July. Uh, so the next week, Wednesday this time. And we'll be joined by a, a number of uh, law firms on, on conducting this particular virtual roundtable, including Raja and Tan, Shuklin and Bok, uh, Sabara Law, and Roan trustees will also be in attendance. And as with all of these virtual roundtables, the idea behind them is to look at uh, topical issues that are challenging the industry in the current COVID-19 crisis. Later on uh, into August, we will have the Malaysia Private Client Virtual Roundtable. Uh, the actual date for this in August will probably be the first week, but this is yet to be confirmed. And we will also likely <clears throat> have uh, Hong Kong Council uh, join us because some of the fact patterns in this will involve in the interaction between Malaysia, Labuan and Hong Kong. So that's something coming in August and we'll publicize um, that as and when the, the virtual roundtable is, is, is brought in, um, in, in terms of its uh, confirmation. Okay, now for today's purposes, um, I'm going to be joined by four other uh, co-speakers and unlike other occasions, we basically explain who's on the call. What I'm going to do is invite um, each of the panelists to just say a few words about what they do, um, their firm, and, uh, and uh, you know, sort of what, what they can help with in terms of their professional um, standing. So I'll ask Joe Tang to Amicor to just say a few words about uh, Amicor and a few words about what Joe does uh, within the region and his, his types of clients, etc. So Joe, if I can invite you to just say a few words. Thanks, um, uh, Zach. Mm -hmm. um, Amicorp is one of the um, global trust companies with um, a presence in Singapore and, and Hong Kong. Um, we have a global presence with uh, 35 um, offices in 30 other countries. And our clients are, is a mix of corporate and uh, private clients, usually business owners, where we help the, um, the families and their businesses with um, uh, cross-border investments, um, tax planning, succession planning, and asset protection structures. Um, that's in a nutshell what we do. Uh, over to you, Zach. Okay, thanks very much, Joe. And um, if we could ask Kunjin about um, to just say a few words because we've uh, we've also got a new law firm, one law office as well. So if Kunjin uh, would say a few words about the the new initiative as well as the things that you're you're doing in Bangkok. Thanks, Zach. Uh, one law office is a new law firm set up uh, early this year, uh, and uh, uh, from from my experience and our team in Bangkok, we. Uh, work closely with with the uh, our listed company uh, clients in the Thai stock market and the family business. Uh, we, uh, we 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 do the uh, due diligence M and A and joint venture, including commercial contract. Uh, in terms of the family business, we we take care 
the uh, succession plan from each other uh, and uh, support a certain family business in Thailand to set up the family office and work closely with the uh, uh, commercial bank, uh, private wealth. And uh, we work uh, with the, our international uh, alliance, uh, similar uh, to our friend here in this panel, including Joe Teng and Mikop. And uh, the, the other law firms in Singapore and Hong Kong and uh, in the uh, US and the U EU. Thanks, Dad. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, yep. And I, I just invite uh, Weishi to say a few words on uh, what, what you're doing up in, in, in Tokyo, in Japan, and the practice area you cover and what the firm's doing uh, generally. Thank you. My name is Atsushi Oishi. So I'm a partner of Morihamada and Matsumoto based in Tokyo, Japan. So Morihamada and Matsumoto is one of the big four law firms in Japan. So we have uh, many offices in Japan and also uh, Asian countries, including uh, Thailand. So we, we merged with uh, Chandra, of which, which is one of the major uh, Thai law firms a few years ago. So we have so many colleagues in Bangkok. So I'm working and I'm leading the, our wealth management team. So we are helping and supporting so many uh, high net worth individuals in Japan and outside Japan. Right, right, okay. And finally, if we can invite Andrew Reming of Henley and Partners to just say a few words on what you're doing in Bangkok and, and uh, your role in, in the Henley business in Thailand. Uh, hi, Zach. Thanks a lot for the invitation and thanks to all the panelists and participants as well for joining me today. Um, I'm the senior, uh, senior manager for business development here in the Thailand office for uh, Henley and Partners. Uh, we are the largest citizenship and residency by investment uh, company in the world. Uh, here in Thailand, too, we work uh, to help with our clients and their uh, families with their investment migration planning and all their needs. We have over 33 offices uh, in the world currently and are looking for further expansion uh, further this year, possibly. Um, I think we're on the hour, the half an hour. Uh, what I'll do is introduce the agenda. Uh, the domestic, which will look at different areas of practice, property, succession, and then we'll look at a, an interesting scenario where we have an investment being made a foreign, into a foreign, uh, you see, as an example, a individual and what uh, advantages they uh, sort of. Sorry, I think I just disconnected there for a moment. Okay, are we still seeing the um, the presentation? No. Okay. Is it yeah, back? we're back. We got it again. Switch my so that we have a clearance. We've been having some difficulty with the um, with the Wi-Fi. 
Well, as I was saying, we'll go through community property, divorce, succession, and foreign investment from a domestic Thai standpoint. And then from a foreign case study point, we'll look at the interaction between Thai and um, Japanese law. Here, we're looking at emigration from Japan to Thailand, the community property uh, implications, and then later on the divorce and succession law implications of that particular event. So, uh, looking at the domestic case study, these are the, the main fact patterns. We have, in this case, uh, Tenet, who is a, uh, a Thai resident citizen domiciliary, uh, married to Ratna and with a child, uh, a daughter, Mali. Uh, Tenet owns property, land in Thailand, as well as a trading business. Tenet also has international assets in the UK, land, uh, an investment account as well as a normal depository account in the UK and this is the uh, sort of standardized fact pattern that you would find in, in, in a, a lot of the high net worth within Thailand. So community property, domestic community property, and this is a form of matrimonial regime or how couples hold assets when they're married. Here we would look at the scenario of Tenet and Ratna and what the Thai community property rules are actually um, uh, when, when applied, what they result in. So I'll run through a few questions and then I'll invite Kunchinapat um, to uh, help us to answer some of these. So the first question I'll ask is, basis of Thai community property rules, does the community property apply to inherited property or property acquired before marriage? Is a pre or post nuptial agreement legally effective in Thailand? So if I could, Kunchinapat, uh, Okay, uh, for question number one, basis of uh, Thai community of property rules, uh, Thailand, we, we adopt uh, the uh, concept of uh, community of property under the family law. And uh, if no uh, special prenuptial contract, the community property uh, will be divided 50-50 between a spouse, husband and wife. Uh, this is the, uh, just subject to the registration of the marriage. Right, right. Insofar as the um, community property, uh, its scope of application, does it apply to <laughs> property? Yes. As property that is brought to the marriage, so pre-acquired property, or does it only apply to property acquired during the marriage? Uh, uh, before the registration of the marriage, uh, we call it a, a personal property or separate property. Then, after the registration of the marriage, the any property uh, taking place or arising uh, during the uh, the marriage status, it will become the uh, community property. And uh, in case of uh, passed away or dead the community property will be subject to the inherent property. Right. Include uh, plus, plus the uh, personal property as the estate of the, the, the dead person. Right, right. Yeah. In terms of nuptial agreements, is, is a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement, are they legally effective in Thailand? Oh, sure, sure. Yes, yes, we have. And then the, the court, uh, under the, the family law, 
of the uh, Thai Supreme and Commercial Court. And the court, the Thai court, adopt the agreement as the agreement between uh, uh, husband and wife. Uh, but you know, in the real, real practice, uh, uh, husband and wife, they, they stay together as a partner, but not registration. If no registration of the marriage, the prenuptial or postnuptial contract will not be effective. Right, right. And is there any particular procedures that need to be followed in order for a nuptial agreement to be legally effective, i.e., do each of the parties have to have separate legal representation? Oh, sure, sure. If, if, if husband and wife, uh, they, they, they use the same lawyer or same uh, legal advisor, uh, I, I think it will be a conflict of interest issue. Right, right. Yeah. But, but there's no prescribed procedure under Thai um, sort of law for a legally effective prenuptial agreement. So in other words, there doesn't have to be a whole list of criteria applied in order for it to be effective. Uh, for, for the process of uh, register the prenuptial contract, uh, the law requires uh, the prenuptial contract uh, uh, register at the same time of the uh, marriage registration. Right, right, okay, okay. And the list of the asset, the list of uh, the asset uh, is required to uh, break down uh, or, or grouping of the asset. Right, right, okay, okay. Now, looking at the um, foreign assets, uh, would the UK recognize community property ownership um, with respect to the foreign assets that are owned by, by tenant? Yes, in, in terms of UK law, they do recognize the, um, the domicile of marriage and they do recognize that they, that may import a, what they call a community of goods to the, um, to the relationship. So the community property rules within um, Thailand would also transpose Internationally, in this case, we're looking at the common law jurisdiction of the UK, and that would recognize community property rules. In terms of domestic divorce, so looking at the, the rather um, sort of somber situation where Tenet and Butner were to um, go through a divorce, questions that would be asked here is this. The basis on which a Thai divorce court will exercise jurisdiction and grant a divorce, so what are the characteristics or the criteria applied? Is it registration, citizenship, or is it residency? Would a Thai court seek to redistribute or alter or disturb community rights? Or if there has been a nuptial arrangement, would the Thai divorce court amend or vary the terms of the nuptial agreement? So I think if we just start with the basis on which a Thai court will actually entertain divorce proceedings, what, what needs to be there with respect to the couple for the Thai court to say, yes, we have jurisdiction over your marriage and we have jurisdiction over your divorce? Uh, in case of uh, the uh, registration marriage uh, uh, done in Thailand, the court will take over this case. And uh, uh, in terms of divorce, uh, you, you can do by, by uh, optional ways, uh, applicable, applicable divorce you can uh, go to the, uh, <clears throat> the government office to make a divorce registration. Or you just bring the case to the court. This is a, uh, a, a, I can say a hostile, hostile 
reward non applicable rewards and the court will will, will uh, take, take control on on this uh, on the basis of registration in Thailand yes the court uh, has the uh, the power or jurisdiction to 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 consider the case right so they they primarily look at registration and citizenship as the basis on which they can have jurisdiction over the couple to grant the divorce is is that correct instead of they just happen to be resident yes in, yes right and and how do we deal with the community property and the nuptial agreement if there's no nuptial agreement but there's default community property rights would the court seek to vary those community property rights or would they just respect the ordinary 50-50 um, split of assets? Uh, the court will follow to the concept of 50-50. Right. Or prenuptial contract. Right. And okay. So they, they literally just follow those rules um, and they don't exercise any form of discretion to, to reapportion those assets. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, insofar as UK is concerned, um, would a time divorce court seek to make an order in relation to foreign assets such as the UK property and then separately would the UK court enforce a tie order affecting UK property so I think the first questions uh, for you and the second one I'll I'll have a look at yes uh, yes Seth, please yeah just saying um, is it common for a Thai divorce court to seek to make extraterritorial orders affecting foreign property in a divorce proceeding? Uh, in terms of the Thai court, uh, uh, the, the court will consider the sovereignty between country and country, right? The Thai court have the uh, jurisdiction un under the, uh, the Thai law and uh, uh, control the uh, Thai asset. Uh, in terms of the UK, it depends on the, the local law in UK. In, in, is Thailand, just, just separately, is Thailand does it have reciprocal enforcement treaties with other countries, or is that something that is um, is not currently done? So there's no real treaty network for enforcing judgments. Uh, I, I think they have, they have, but the process are not easy uh, because uh, uh, you you have to deal with the the the, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. You have to deal with the Ministry of Justice. And then uh, you bring the court order from Thailand to to the UK, and uh, in case of the UK court order, uh, you have to uh, pass through a government agency, but but not not easy by practice. Right. Okay. I think from a UK perspective, I, I, as I understand it, there is no reciprocal relationship with Thailand in, in terms of the enforcement of these types of, of judgments, and I think it would then fall to the UK to apply common law principles to assist the Thai court in enforcing. But I think generally, wouldn't it be more pragmatic that the Thai court it has um, a, a sort of authority over the divorcing couple if they remain in Thailand, they would just simply order, in this case, tenant to transfer assets in satisfaction of the divorce. And if he doesn't, he would be in contempt of court, correct? Yeah, yeah, yes. A more practical solution, as long as he stays within the jurisdiction. Right. Now, from a succession standpoint, a domestic succession standpoint, so here obviously we have the scenario of Tanit passing away, being survived by Ratna and Mali. The questions are the basis and application of Thai succession laws, and we look at immovable property, movable property, and this concept of domicile in Thailand, 
and does Thai succession law include forced airship rules, uh, like the civil law jurisdictions in Europe, for instance, can a dependent make a claim against the estate? And then separately, is there any, is there any in Thai inheritance tax? So I think the basis of the application of Thai succession laws, uh, the difference between immovable and movable property, and, and how that applies, and, and going looking at the airship rights. If, if, if I can invite you, Chinabat, to, to, um, to take a Yes, the, the Thai succession laws, uh, we, we separate into two ideas. The first one is uh, if you have no will for, for such person, right. the court will consider the general uh, succession law uh, in, in case of no will. And then uh, the immovable property in Thailand and movable property, uh, the court adopt adopt another issue, not, not domicile only, but nationality and the place of the uh, uh, of property. Right, right. So it wouldn't seek to look for a foreign law to govern the domestic assets. Okay. Right. Insofar as the, I understand that if you don't have a will, there are intestacy rules that deal with the succession, but there's, no, as far as I'm aware, um, there are no fixed shares under Thai law that have to be given that you can't override through a will. Is that correct? You basically right. have testamentary freedom in Thailand. That's right, that's right. Uh, the, the will shall, shall prevail and uh, override the uh, general succession law. And then in terms of Thai inheritance tax, can you just explain briefly, how does that actually apply to a deceased estate in, in, in Thailand? Okay, uh, the, the Thai inheritance tax, including the gift tax, we adopt uh, back to last uh, four years. <clears throat> and then uh, the, the first uh, 100 million baht will be exempt, and over 100 million baht will be subject to 5% or 10%, depends on the successor or the recipient of such uh, estate. And only four, only four uh, inherit uh, estate or uh, asset uh, that's subject to the uh, Thai inheritance tax. The first one is the uh, uh, land and building. The second one, cash and bank. The third one is a shares in top, uh, stock market or outside stock market. And the last one is, is a vehicle, car, uh, jet, uh, George, uh, this is a four estate asset that's subject to high inheritance tax. Yeah, and right. uh, the rule that apply for the person who who are liable to the high inheritance tax uh, in Thailand, we we adopt similar to other countries. Only uh, three concept. The first one, if you are Thai nationality, right. and you derive the estate offshore. This is subject to Thai inheritance tax. The second concept is the uh, the resident, the resident in Thailand. The third one is the the, the asset asset located in Thailand. This is subject to the Thai inheritance tax. Right, 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 right. Okay, and yep. then on to from from a UK standpoint because we've got a Thai. Um, resident citizen domiciliary passing away. From the UK standpoint, there'll be a question on which succession law will apply. Yep. Stocks and shares, would it be Thai or UK? 
In this case, the UK would defer to the Thai domiciliaries law. And it's pretty similar because you have testamentary freedom in Thailand yeah. as the same in the UK. Uh, the succession law that would apply in the UK with respect to UK land would be UK law. But again, it's, they, we have a universality here because both, both um, jurisdictions allow testamentary freedom. Yep. In terms of the process to apply to get a UK um, estate going, you would have to apply either through having a will, through probate or administration as required. Um, so there would be a, a formal proceeding in the UK to do that. There would be inheritance tax implications if the estate is sufficiently uh, valuable, so effectively above the value of 325,000 sterling. Now, in terms of the UK and Thailand, there, there is no inheritance tax treaty between the two jurisdictions. No. Happen, I suspect from a Thai perspective, the, 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 Thais would, uh, the Thai tax authority would credit UK inheritance tax, if any, paid on the estate as against the Thai liability apportioned to that particular asset. Is, is that correct? Uh, in this case, Zach, uh, the special treaty for inheritance tax, no. We, we just have the general double tax treaty between UK and Thailand many years before. After, after that, uh, the Thai inheritance tax just uh, come to effect around four or five years back. Then, uh, I, I don't think this is a part of the uh, treaty in terms of inheritance tax. But you know, the, the domestic Thai tax law, inheritance tax and gift tax is a part of personal income tax. Yes, yes. Right, right. Okay, so, but there would be unilateral relief if there were a UK yeah. change. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. From a foreign investment standpoint, we're just going to move the fact pattern on a little bit. So here, Janet uh, is, is um, going to be making an investment into Singapore. And in this investment, he will be uh, investing into a form of insurance wrapper and also uh, um, bankable assets through an investment account. Yep. And the idea behind this discussion is to see whether or not Tanit can do this uh, lawfully and what is the best route, if it is possible, what's the best route for uh, uh, Thai individuals to invest uh, outside of Thailand. So the questions are basis on which foreign investment may be made, whether foreign investments may be held directly, tax consequences of directly held foreign investments, and will there be any CRS, common reporting standard um, reporting from Singapore to Thailand with respect to these assets acquired in Singapore? So I'd invite Joe, to, to lead the discussion on these particular questions. <clears throat> okay, so for the, um, the first question, basis on which the foreign investments may be made, um, Thailand has um, changed uh, quite considerably over the past five years from previously where they had foreign exchange um, uh, controls. The, um, the Thai authorities have then um, liberated the, uh, the regime and they allowed Thai people to invest in foreign properties and foreign insurance policies. Lately, um, Thai people are, are allowed to invest up to $5 million per person, $5 million per person a year to invest in um, overseas uh, bankable assets. The, um, the process is that when they, when they make the investment, they have to 
report that to the Bank of Thailand. And in that report, they also have to undertake that while the uh, investments are abroad, that the moment they take profits, they will bring the um, investments back to Thailand so it can be, can be taxed. Um, <clears throat> whether the investments may be held directly, yes. And the, the tax consequences of directly held foreign investments, um, Thailand has this very interesting semi-territorial uh, regime, whereby any income that is um, earned outside Thailand, if you keep that outside of Thailand during the same fiscal year in which you um, earned that income and you repatriate it back to Thailand in the following fiscal year, then that uh, repatriation in the following fiscal year will be free of uh, income tax in Thailand. Is um, very interesting. <clears throat> this is um, based on uh, law as has uh, been confirmed by Kun Chinapat. Doing this, Joe. <laughs> and um, on the last question, is there any uh, CRS reporting from Singapore to Thailand? Uh, Thailand, about one month ago, um, under a bit of pressure from the uh, EU has uh, finally um, um, announced that they will be um, rolling out CRS in Thailand uh, starting 2022. So as you all know, Singapore is already uh, participating in CRS and since 2018, all the um, reporting financial institutions have to report the reportable accounts to the um, Singapore tax authorities. So once uh, Thailand and Singapore are agreeing on the um, mode of operation in the uh, regards to CRS, then Singapore will also start to exchange the information that they uh, will get on record from, uh, from Singapore with uh, Thailand. So that's sometime in, the, um, in 2022. So everybody still has some homework to do to make sure that they understand what is being reported. <laughs> You know, Joe, uh, in, in Thailand, the Ministry of Finance uh, is the, uh, the, the regulator on, on this EIS, uh, CIS issue. And uh, now the Thai Revenue Department uh, are in the process to draft the law. And uh, the law now under the process of uh, public hearing. And uh, hopefully it will become to effect in the next uh, few years, I think, as you mentioned, yes. Some homework to do. Yes, yes. Okay. In terms of um, what if we were, and I'll just show the animation again, what if we were to put the Singapore investments into trust? So if we were to transfer, what if we put the investments are held in trust, what would be the Thai succession and inheritance tax implications if instead of holding the assets individually, Planet were invited to create Singapore trusts? So that's from a succession standpoint and from an, in, an inheritance tax um, uh, implication. Okay, Zach, this is my turn, right? Okay, uh, you, you know, Thailand, we, we, we are the country adopt the uh, civil law system different from uh, common law system or English law system. The trust concept are under the English law system. Uh, but, but you know, the, the Bank of Thailand, the Thai SEC now, uh, are in the process to draft the law of a uh, private trust right. to, to govern the family trust because uh, uh, from the past up to now, the Thai uh, people, 
many many people uh, uh, set up the trust offshore in Singapore, in, in Jersey, in uh, Hong Kong, Nevada, uh, many offshore countries. Yeah. Then, then uh, the uh, the law <coughs> will come into effect uh, next uh, two years. I, I understand that, and and in case of the transfer of the asset from the central from Thailand to set up the trust offshore in the past, it depends on the nature of the trust. Mm. If, if you deal with the uh, revoc revocable trust, it means that you still control. Right. You still control. It is uh, you, you, you use another, another entity or another pool of assets because a trust uh, can, can be a, a corporation, trust can be the pool of assets, no legal entity, right? In another case, if you set up a revocable trust or you set up the PTC, private trust company, Joe may, may add me, uh, may, may add uh, me on, on this PTC in, in Singapore. Uh, it depends on if you cannot control. Right. It, can be, it can be treated as the you transfer the, the asset to another entity and subject to, maybe subject to Thai tax. Right. So, so the key thing here is the inheritance tax will apply if effectively you retain control of the trust. But if you don't, yes. then the inheritance, then it, then it can have an inheritance tax advantage eventually um, insofar as it, when the, uh, the, the set law passes away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, the draft law uh, for family trust in, Thai, in Thailand, we adopt the concept of a trust law in Singapore. Uh, and the, the age, the age of the uh, trust law in Singapore, hundred years. If I'm wrong, please correct me, Joe. Hundred years, right, in Singapore, and in Thailand, we, we adopt the same idea, hundred years for a Thai trust. Right. And you can you 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 can plan in case of uh, in Thai return tax, you can plan to do the will. If expire of the first trust, you can uh, decide the content of the will to, to set up the new trust, right? Or new trust. trust. That's right. But yeah. when you create the trust in Singapore, is there a immediate inheritance tax charge in Thailand when you initially create the trust, uh, not, on, not on death, but during the individual's lifetime? Oh yes, you can do that. You can do that because uh, uh, in, in case of uh, the family trust uh, in Thailand under the draft law or outside Thailand, you can do uh, still uh, still alive or after death. But what about the inheritance tax? Does it apply also to lifetime transfers into a trust? Oh yes. Right. Okay. So in this case, if Tanit were to transfer these assets into Singapore trusts, he would have to pay high inheritance tax, is that correct? Oh, but, but, but Tanet is still alive, right? Still alive. Yes. And, and then he set up uh, the trust during still alive. Yes. And then uh, they, they, they draft a bill to govern this trust uh, control and management for the beneficiary. Yes, true. But, but on initially transferring the assets into the trust during his lifetime, is there a Thai inheritance tax payment? Should, should not be taxed, should not be taxed. Because uh, uh, the trust is the, uh, another pocket, another uh, place of, of the uh, uh, asset pooling for, for Cetra Tanet. Right, but yeah. if it's 
type of trust where he doesn't retain any benefit and he can't control, then yep. it's a tax charge. Yes, yes. Isn't that right? Okay, so that's the key thing here. Yeah. The level of control that he retains on the yep. trust as to whether or not the inheritance tax will, uh, will kick in. Okay. But, but you know, Zach, uh, in another case, not only tax, because uh, if such assets are the listed, are the listed company, for example, uh, Tanet owns shares in the listed company in the Thai stock market. Uh, this is another issue because uh, not only tax issue, uh, is this a SEC or security law issue as well? Of course, you'd have regulatory issues as well, got it. Yeah, yeah. We move on to the Oren case study and we'll first look at the situation of emigrating to Thailand. This is the fact pattern. We've got Akira Kin and Atsuka and they are currently resident domiciled and citizens of Japan. And here we see Akira owns land, investments and, and uh, um, cash. He also has land investments uh, both in Thailand as well as in Singapore. And the scenario that we're playing is that the, the family decide to move from Japan to Thailand. Now, in looking at this, the first thing that we're going to run through is um, how can a family move across? So what's the emigration um, options available to families to move into Thailand? And this will naturally lead us to discuss the Thai Elite program, the eligibility and requirements for this very popular program, application process and the due diligence requirements, and whether or not you can escalate through to become a Thai PR or a citizen uh, going forward. We'll also mention um, some of the other regional programs that are available in Southeast Asia. So just to start, now this crash from Henley and Parkins. Uh, if you can run through with us, I um, program and all of these these um, these issues that we we posted up here. Andrew, can you can you hear me? Yeah, I uh, can hear. You. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Um, so the Thailand Elite program provides its members with five, 10, or 20-year uh, privileged entry visas to stay and reside in Thailand. It's classified as a tourist visa, so it's a multiple entry visa, which allows uh, its members to come and go as many times as they wish throughout the year, or if they wish to stay consecutively for the duration of their program, uh, they can do so. It's one of the more unique visas in that sense. They would have to pay an uh, extension. Uh, they would have to pay for a visa extension if they do stay consecutively for over 365 days, however, uh, but it's pretty unique in that sense. Um, for Akira and his family, uh, it depends. I, how I like to break the program down to my clients is that uh, for the five, 10 or 20 year options, uh, there's individual, uh, an individual can apply or a family can apply. So it depends on uh, Akira-san and his family's wishes to stay in the kingdom for five years or 10 years or 20 years. For the five-year program, uh, they could apply uh, for uh, the program, which for its uh, minimum requirement is say a couple. So that could be Akira and Kin, it would cost them 800,000 Thai baht. For any dependent, it's an additional 300,000 Thai baht. So for the five-year program, that would only cost him 1.1 million. Uh, for the 10-year program, for say Akira being the core applicant, it would cost him uh, 800,000 Thai baht. 
And for each additional dependent, it's 700,000 Thai baht. So for 10 years, it would cost him 2.2 million. And depending on which program, then he decides there are two options for the 20-year program. He could, uh, uh, Kirasan could uh, purchase uh, elite uh, superiority extension visas, which is a 20-year visa at 1 million baht each. Or if he wishes to become an elite ultimate privilege member, that's 2 million baht each. And his family could also join them subsequently for 1 million baht each. For the uh, elite ultimate privilege program, uh, that does include all the, uh, the bells and whistles that you hear about, the, the golf and the unlimited airports of Thailand, limousine transfers, and the spa as well. Um, they would be limited to, uh, well, the family members would be limited to uh, 10 uh, visits to the golf course per year, and Akira-san would get uh, 20 uh, visits to the golf course per year. Uh, however, it is unlimited uh, airports of Thailand transfer services. Uh, eligibility um, really just depends on if, say, anyone uh, has ever been uh, bankrupt before, has a criminal record, or has previously overstayed a visa in Thailand. If uh, none of those uh, fit to Mr. Akira and his family, then they should be good to go. Um, the application process currently is about two to three months. Um, it really does depend on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but uh, average to say is two to three months at the moment. And uh, unfortunately, however, um, one of the caveats of the program is that it does not lead to permanent residency or citizenship. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could mention, I think your, the main competing program is the Malaysian program, the Malaysian My Second Home. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could just mention um, uh, how that program's going, Malaysian program as against the Thai program, without any disparagement here, but just looking at the two, because they are the competing programs, I, I think, within the region. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, in, in Southeast Asia, they definitely, I would say that they are uh, competing programs. I mean, um, even looking at it objectively, the Thailand Elite Program is one of the more, say, cost and time effective residency programs in the world. Uh, even, uh, as you mentioned, regarding to the MM2H program, uh, currently processing times are maybe 12 months plus. Uh, and I did just receive a memo the other day uh, that the MM2H office has currently closed and is moving to the, uh, where's the Immigration Department of Malaysia, and they're not accepting applications until further notice at the moment. Um, so it's difficult to say exactly when uh, your application would be processed or approved uh, currently. Um, that's too, and also the fund requirements to apply for the MM2H program are quite a bit higher, more substantial than for the Thailand Elite program. It's 350,000 ringgit uh, for someone aged over 50 years old, which is about $98,000. And uh, for someone under 50 years old, um, it's 500,000 ringgit, uh, which is about $150,000. Um, also, if we look even on the other side of the world and we say compare the say Greek Golden Visa program, uh, that requires a minimum investment into real estate that costs 250,000 euros. Um, I mean, and that also, if you want to do compare uh, bells and whistles too, there's no golf included with the uh, Greek Golden Visa programs. <laughs> with the Thai Elite program, it is assured in terms of its future. Is that correct? Because is there something in the press dealing with um, the, 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 the Thai program looking more at highly skilled individuals rather than this sort of massive easier approach or how, how is the what's the security on this program is it likely to remain or 
do you feel it's going to be something that will effectively um, come to an end? Uh, no, I actually see the program expanding at the moment. Um, I think you are correct in the terms that the Department of Immigration and the Tourism Authority of Thailand are trying to, um, say, cut down on mass tourism, uh, quantity tourism, and they're trying to focus more on quality tourism that comes into the country. Uh, anyone that can, say, um, afford to go through the Thailand Elite program does bring uh, adequate amounts of FDI into the country. I mean, not only just the investment into the visa, but also the condominiums that they purchase, automobiles that they purchase, businesses that they start up or invest in the country. So the Thailand Elite program is definitely here to stay. Right, got it, got it. Okay, I think just transitioning now to uh, looking at some of the more technical bits of the, the transition out of Japan. Um, Japanese tax consequences on actually emigrating to Thailand. And here we look at the the, the distinction between Thai tax residency criteria, the Japanese concept of domicile, and then the applicable double tax treaty between the two jurisdictions. So if I can invite just a, a general discussion around the exit tax from leaving Japan, and then the basis on which that tax is based, which is uh, either that you are uh, uh, retaining, uh, uh, you're, you're leaving your residency, or you are um, uh, leaving behind your domicile. So just to try and understand a little bit more about how the Japanese exit regime works in this scenario. Uh, yes, so Japan has an exit tax system, and exit tax is a kind of a capital gains tax. So that's why when Akira-san and his family moved from Japan to Thailand, as such an exit tax is triggered, and if they have some stock or securities, well, some other bankable assets, those assets, and also those assets have some, you know, built-in gains, that gain should be taxed as a capital gains, uh, as an exit tax. Right. So, yeah, so we have to look at when they live and where, where they have domicile. So if they change their domicile from Japan to Thailand, uh, that exit tax triggers. So next question will be, what is a domicile under the Japanese tax law? But unfortunately, it's not clearly defined uh, under the law. So we have some case law. And uh, according to such case law, uh, usually Japanese uh, courts will look at uh, their uh, occupation and their family and their residence and how long they stay in Japan. So those factors will be considered by the court and uh, the court will finally determine where uh, they have a domicile for tax purposes. Right, right. And if they decide that, well, let's just deal with the, the Thai side. So, continue back from the Thai side, tax yep. Uh, in, in, in terms of the uh, Thai, Thai, Thai tax uh, perspective, the uh, uh, personal income tax uh, under the Thai Revenue Code, uh, <clears throat> we, we focus on the uh, uh, physically uh, stay in Thailand and consider from the passport. If in the calendar year means tax year for personal income tax purpose, if in a calendar year such people stay in Thailand over 150 days, it will be uh, a, a Thai tax resident. Right. So if we have a situation where 
the parties are seen as both Japanese tax residents. Yep. Uh, how, in how, how figure this out? So how would we apply the double tax treaty to determine the actual tax residency? Okay. So, sorry, I'll, how, how will the double tax treaty apply when the uh, Japanese couple is seen to be still Japanese domicile as well as Thai tax resident at the same time? Okay. Uh, in terms of the Thai personal income tax uh, purpose, so actually, in terms of the Japanese context here, of we've got Japanese couple who are still domiciled in Japan, but they're also now applying Kunchinapat's analysis, Thai tax residents. How do we sort this out? Because they can't be both. That's right, that's right. I'll go back to the tax treaty between Japan and, and Thailand. Uh, uh, in, in Thailand, under the domestic tax law, we have no domicile rule. We have uh, the rule, uh, source income rule and resident rule. And the resident uh, considered 180 days in a calendar year. But uh, if any conflict between uh, the tax treaty issue on, on the domicile, as uh, uh, Oishi Sang mentioned earlier, uh, we have to go back to the treaty for each provision. If, if, uh, so, uh, uh, Mr. Akira uh, cannot be the, the taxpayer uh, payer of two countries at the same time. Correct. Right. So, um, Sushi, how, how is this going to be sorted out? Yeah, actually, you know, Japan has a tax treaty with Thailand. And uh, usually OECD, you know, tax uh, treaty model usually have a tie, detailed tax, uh, tiebreaker rules. But, uh, you know, uh, under the Japan-Thai tax treaty, uh, the tiebreaker rule is very simple. It just says, you know, both government will discuss and agree on where they have domicile. So, right. not so clear. And another, you know, problem is uh, such tax treaty only applies to income tax. And uh, inheritance tax is outside the scope of the, such, you know, tax treaty. So in terms of the inheritance tax, there should be some potential double taxation risk. Right, right, okay. But the key thing here is, if you've got yourself in the unfortunate position of being seen as both Japanese as well as Thai tax resident at the same time, you have to actually approach the authorities for them to sort it out. There's no other way of doing it, which would presumably involves technical lawyers like you guys getting involved okay community property so we're, what we're looking at is um, we obviously have the the couple from Japan moving to Thailand and the question that comes up is they're resident now in Thailand but what happened to the community property rights that they had in Japan is that transposed into Thai their Thai property or is it effectively the because they're resident in Thailand is it now that the Thai community laws will apply in Japan? Trying to figure out how the community matrimonial domicile as it moves across into Thailand, whether or not it has an effect on the assets as they were then owned within the community regime of Japan. So the question will be, will Japanese community property rights continue to apply to Thai and Singapore property, even though the couple are now resident in Thailand? 
and then reversing it, will Thai community property rights apply to Thai, Japanese and Singapore property going forward because they're resident? And then what will Singapore make of all of this because of the change of residency? So I think the first one is for Atsushi Chan for you to, um, to, to have a go. Will Japanese community property rights continue to apply to Thai and Singapore property? Yeah. The answer is yes. Uh, from a Japanese perspective, uh, the Japanese law will still apply because Akira and Akin have still, have still a Japanese, uh, they, have, they are still Japanese nationals. So that's why Japanese you know, community property rights uh, rules will still apply. And under the Japanese law, we have a 50-50 rules. So basically, we have to follow such a you 50-50 know, rule. But there is one uh, exception. So if they enter into one written agreement, which says the governing law should be Thai law, that should be okay from a Japanese perspective, so the, which means they can change the governing law from Japan to Thai by entering, signing some written agreement. Uh, and for question number two, I agree, agree with uh, Oji Sang. Uh, the Thai community property rights apply to Thai, Japanese, and Singapore property uh, because uh, under the uh, law of conflict, the law of conflict, uh, uh, Akira and, and Kim is a, a, a foreigner but stay in Thailand, stay in Thailand in this case. Uh, go back to the 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 domicile 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 definition under the law of conflict uh, not clearly specified, but right. go back to the the, the uh, general law <coughs> under under Thailand law, the general law the definition of domicile mentioned in the Thai civil and commercial code means that the principal resident. In this case, for this slide, uh, I understand that Akira. And Akin is a domicile in Thailand because uh, <clears throat> both of them stay in Thailand for 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 the business for the uh, for for the family uh, not not a tourist not for study short term but uh, uh, in this case is a principal residence and then uh, uh, if any uh, any uh, divorce uh, the Thai court will be uh, uh, adopt this case for for Thailand law. Right, so we got a clear conflict there. So we would have Japanese law seeking to apply across and then Thai law resisting it. I think from a Singapore perspective, it will be <laughs> slightly um, confusing because they, they would have to see whether or not there has actually been a change in the, uh, the or, or yeah, there's a change in the, the matrimonial domicile across. So it, it, from a common law standpoint, from a, from a, uh, which it would apply in Singapore, it's a, actually a fairly difficult question because the law applying in this area is fairly ancient and um, the transposition of the change of a couple's uh, matrimonial domicile is not something that's um, heavily trafficked in the case law. So that would be something that would need to be looked at. Generally, um, you can have a change and it can be recognized, but it would be to deal with. Um, and it would occur because death would give rise to the community um, issue. Okay, so looking at succession. So here we have the scale of um, succession planning, and I just wait for a moment. And what we're looking at is the, uh, the, the, the transfer by Akira of assets in Singapore into a Singapore trust. So if we look back, this used to be a investment account that was held by Akira personally. 
and he was convinced, um, presumably by a relationship manager or some other financial professional, to create a trust. Now, the questions that are asked here is what is the Japanese tax consequence and what are the Thai tax consequences of creating a, um, a trust of uh, assets held in Singapore whilst Akira is domiciled and citizen of Japan but tax resident in Thailand? I think I'd invite um, Sushi to, to deal first with the Japanese tax consequences of creating this trust. Yes, uh, from a Japanese perspective, uh, the point is uh, if uh, the trust is transparent uh, or not. So if uh, this trust is transparent, um, this, you know, arrangement will be ignored from a Japanese perspective and there will be no change. And if uh, this trust is treated as a corporation for Japanese tax purposes, uh, the tax treatment will be totally different. But in many cases, uh, th this type of family trust should be transparent uh, from a Japanese perspective. Right, and when you say transparent, can you just expand a little bit on what that principally means within a tax context? Yeah, so uh, basically almost all the trust is transparent. So, um, so that should be ignored from a Japanese uh, perspective. But uh, if it's a kind of uh, sim similar to corporation, uh, it's sometimes uh, treated as a corporation. So we have to look into the trust deed uh, in detail. And uh, for example, if the beneficiary is not identified at the time of the trust, uh, that trust should be treated as a corporation. But uh, on the other hand, if the uh, beneficiary, all the beneficiaries are identified uh, at the time of the trust, basically that trust should be treated as a uh, transparent trust. Can you hear me? Is that okay? Yeah, can you repeat, Zach? You broke up. So I'm just thinking about the, the concept of the beneficiaries being identified and whether or not, does this mean that they are a class, like all the children of X, or it means that they're not identified at all? How, how does that work? Yes, uh, the, yes, the na name of the beneficiaries must be identified when they create a trust. So sometimes uh, under the, you know, trust deed, uh, which is established under the common law uh, countries, sometimes uh, beneficiary are not clearly identified uh, in the trust deed. And the, the beneficiary will be identified in the future. So that trust may be treated as a corporation for Japanese tax purposes. And so we, that's why we always look at the trust deed uh, and each beneficiary is actually identified or not. Right, right. Okay, thinking about in terms of the tax consequences in Thailand on Akira, who's now a Thai tax resident, yep. creates a trust of assets in Singapore. Are there any applicable Thai tax consequences that we, we ought to be aware of? Uh, similar to, to the, the first case that uh, we discussed before in terms of uh, Mr. Tanet and uh, Ratna, uh, because uh, in Thailand, for personal income tax, 
purpose we have no rule on the uh, nationality we have a resident rule we have a source income rule and in this case uh, akira sang and uh, kin are the thai tax resident similar uh, tax consequences when uh, they both of them set up the singapore trust uh, it depends on the control or not control or, or ptc private trust uh, company or corporation if, if they still control it means that uh, the the, the uh, ownership or the possession of the asset not transferred to the to the trust right, right. control yeah okay now looking at the, the the last segment of this which is the succession law implications here we have akira passing away uh, whilst resident in thailand but remaining domiciled and citizen of japan and the questions are with respect to the thai property what is the applicable succession law thai uh, in terms of thai immovable property applicable law with respect to Thai movable property, and then uh, sort of application of Japanese forced airship. So would Thailand recognize that Japanese forced airship rules insofar as the Thai property is concerned? So uh, if, if you could help us with this, um, could you know that? Yes, uh, in case of the uh, Thai succession law, uh, in case of the foreigner uh, on the uh, immovable property, in this case, I understand it's a condominium. Condominium and uh, under Thai law, uh, the foreigner can own the condominium in Thailand not over 49% of the total areas of such condominium. And uh, in case of the uh, uh, estate asset, are the condominium the, the Thai court will consider the Thai law because uh, under the rule of the uh, property situation in Thailand. In right. case uh, for another issue, uh, second question. Uh, movable property, the Thai court under the uh, conflict of law will consider the domicile of uh, the dead person. In this case, um, Akira Sang uh, 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 is a domicile in Thailand and uh, his principal, uh, principal resident in Thailand at the time of death. At the time of death, then the court will adopt the Thai law to, to, to take care of this case. In case of movable property, for example, cash, share in Thailand, investment in Thailand, uh, portfolio in Thailand. Right, and, and insofar as um, the Japanese forced airship rules, they would, they would have no application in Thailand. Um, from they wouldn't have, they would be enforceable in Thailand. The Japanese forced airship rules under their succession law, because from what you're saying, only Thai succession law will apply. Yep. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, insofar as the Japanese property is concerned, what is the applicable succession law to the land, the immovable property? What would be the succession law for the movable assets? And then uh, the application of forced airship rights. And then finally, on the Thai um, Japanese tax implications. So, which law? would effectively the the japanese courts apply for the succession would they apply thai law because of the residency or would they apply japanese law which which would be the case yeah from japanese perspective uh, japanese law will apply because akira-san is a japanese citizen and they he is a japanese national they have the japanese nationalities so that's why you know all the assets including immovable 
property uh, and movable property uh, will be subject to Japanese uh, succession law. And also Japanese host air rights will also apply. Uh, Kin-san is a wife of Akira-san, so that's why she has a 25% legal right. right. And also Atsuko-san is the only child of the Akira-san and Kin-san, so that's why Atsuko-san has also 25% legal right under the Japanese law. Right. So then looking at the, the tax implications, because both Thailand and Japan have inheritance taxes. How, how is this going to play out in terms yeah. of double taxation potentially? Uh, under the Japanese um, inheritance tax law, um, all the properties, including the Japanese properties and the foreign properties, uh, will be basically subject to Japanese uh, inheritance tax. But if Akira-san and his families uh, continue to live outside Japan for more than 10 years, only Japanese assets will be taxable. In that case, foreign assets uh, will not be taxable. Right. Okay. Yeah. How would you apply for Thai purposes, the, the Thai inheritance tax? Yes, exactly. Uh, in terms of the Thai inheritance tax, uh, uh, Akira is a, a person uh, who reside and stay in Thailand, uh, it, it, it can be said that uh, Akira uh, is a resident in Thailand and subject to Thai return tax for, for the asset in Thailand and uh, for the asset uh, uh, outside Thailand. This is similar to, to Japanese return tax law. And presumably there's going to be a, a some level of relief at the, at the tax authority level that they will grant some level of credit for taxes paid? Yes, yes. Right, okay. Okay, and I think in terms of the Singapore Trust, whether Japanese forced airship claims can be made against the trust. So looking at the, the, the case of Kin and Itsuko, um, and what would Sing how would Singapore react to a, a, a potential attack on the trust from a forced air? So I guess the first question is, is it possible or is it common for Japanese heirs to make uh, claims against foreign assets held in trusts if it in some way infringes their forced airship rights? Yeah, in Japan, it sometimes happens. So, you know, Japanese uh, forced air crime is very strict under the Japanese law. So that's why sometimes some heirs uh, argue that they have some legal rights under the Japanese law. But uh, in Singapore, maybe Singapore uh, government or uh, you know, Singapore, Singapore court may not accept such treatment. That, that is my understanding. Yeah, that's correct. So from a Singapore standpoint, uh, Singapore does have within its laws a anti-forced airship provision, which would, um, which would seek to um, defeat any sort of claim made on the basis of succession or inheritance. So it wouldn't be a claim that would necessarily be recognized in Singapore if it were brought by Akinata and, and Itaka. Yeah. Now, just looking at the divorce implications. So <clears throat> here we have Akira divorcing Kin. And the question is, based on which Thai court will exercise jurisdiction. Here, the difference is that uh, Akira and Kin are Japanese citizens and Japanese domiciliaries. So the only connection with Thailand is yep. resident. 
Now, is residency enough for them to be within the Thai court's jurisdiction to exercise its divorce powers um, over their marriage? Right. Uh, the Thai court will, will uh, consider the conflict of law. In this case, uh, uh, two issues. Domicile in Thailand, a uh, 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 principal residence in Thailand, or the uh, nationality. Because uh, both of them are Japanese, uh, the court will, will consider uh, what, uh, what the uh, legal consequence uh, from the uh, Japanese law perspective. They, they can make a divorce if okay, the Thai court consider that the uh, Japanese law not allowed to make a divorce, then the Thai court will follow. Right, right, right. But generally, because the marriage wasn't registered and they're not citizens of Thailand, the yep. Thai generally wouldn't get involved in a, what would be seen as a foreign marriage. Yeah. Right, okay, got it. Um, insofar, we've got one, insofar as life insurance is concerned, is that seen as an asset? Presumably, we can deal with this from a Thai um, perspective uh, as well as um, from a Japanese perspective. So, um, does life insurance constitute an asset? Um, I, I suppose we're looking at it from the beneficiary standpoint, or we're looking at it from the insurance um, sort of uh, the insured uh, perspective. I think just talk generally around whether or not life insurance is seen as an asset. Anything on this, Kunchinivat? Okay, uh, I, I can separate separate uh, two two timeline. The first one is the uh, the uh, insurance proceed uh, distribute to the insured person uh, before the death. Uh, the 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 benefit from the uh, insurance proceed it is a asset, but not subject to uh, uh, personal income tax because exemption on this. And, and another timeline, second timeline after that, the beneficiary received the insurance proceed, the benefit. <coughs> this is uh, not uh, subject to inheritance tax because uh, such benefit, not the asset before that. Then the beneficiary will uh, be uh, tax exemption on the personal income tax. This is a general idea and uh, the law clearly provided. But you know, in Thailand, the uh, certain uh, Supreme Court case, the recent case, the Supreme Court ruled that the life insurance without beneficiary, lack of beneficiary, or beneficiary dead, or, uh, or, or, or pass away before the insured person, then such insurance proceed no beneficiary the benefit of insurance policy will go to the the, the estate fund and subject to tight inheritance tax right right what yeah. about the policy holder in the case of the ability to surrender the policy uh-huh is that seen as an asset if you're able to surrender the policy and then effectively um realize some investment return on a surrender is that is that seen as an asset yes Right. Okay. Is there, from Sushitan, from your side, is there any any particular difference from a Japanese standpoint on viewing life insurance as an asset? Yeah, from a Japanese tax perspective, uh, such you know insurance policy should be treated as a tax, uh, treated as assets. 
So that's why cash surrender value or insurance premium, uh, insurance proceeds will be taxable assets uh, in Japan. But uh, in terms of the Japanese hostel claims, um, insurance policy should be, you know, uh, outside the scope of such claims. So that sometimes uh, that treatment is used by, you know, wealthy families. Right. So there is some difference between tax treatment and legal uh, treatment. Right, right. And I mean, but one for the, in terms of the Thai elite um, program, we're saying, is, it, is there a chance that a Thai elite resident um, becomes taxable in Thailand? For instance, if they stay longer than 180 days, um, uh, draw funds from their various international sources. So the, the idea here is, as a Thai elite member, do you have any tax privileges at all in, in Thailand as an elite member? I don't think so. No. Andrew, on your side, when, when you're discussing the Thai elite program, do you, do you um, typically discuss the individuals becoming Thai tax residents and, and some of the, the consequences of that? Um, we are, are not tax advisors, so I can't totally uh, comment too much on it. Kun Chinapet would be, I think, the man to go to for the more detailed response. Um, I do know that after 180 days and you are a Thai tax resident then too, that uh, the foreign earned income from the previous taxation year brought into the country would not be taxed, however. Is yeah. that correct, Kun Chinapet? Is that yes, 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 it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then one of the final questions here is the, this, the Thai tax system, when it comes to uh, foreign sourced income, seems to be very, very generous. Is there any um, prospect of that territorial system changing, particularly in light of the COVID crisis and, and you know, the loss of revenue, etc.? cetera? <coughs> fact, you're, you're like an insider guy in all these things, right? <laughs> you know, okay. Uh, if, if we use the uh, territorial tax uh, system for, for personal taxation, uh, different from the uh, corporate taxation, because uh, uh, in Thailand, uh, in terms of uh, personal tax and uh, corporate tax, we, we adopt different treatment. Uh, in terms of the uh, personal tax, we have no uh, such rule and, and, and no change. Just just the uh, net, uh, source income rule and uh, resident rule, no uh, uh, citizen rule similar to US. US uh, you, uh, they they have the uh, uh, the uh, nationality rule, uh, different from but you know uh, corporate tax system. We adopt the uh, worldwide income tax basis, different from Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, right. If, if this question uh, focus on the personal tax, uh, no change? No, not, not change. <laughs> no change, all right. Yeah. I think well, Zach, this is, it's an interesting question. Do you happen to know whether um, the FATF have already done a, a peer review for Thailand? Um, did you see any, if that was the case, did you see any remarks from the uh, FATF on the um, this territorial system of Thailand? Hello? Kunjinapat's perspective, have you, Kunjinapat, have you seen any international regulator 
like the OECD? Have they criticized Thailand's um, territorial system of taxation? Have you seen any criticism of that? No, no, no. Just uh, not on this issue, just the BEPS, yes, BEPS, uh, CIS, yes. BEPS, uh, base erosion uh, profit shifting, yes. And then that's why Thailand, we, uh, we launched the new law, transfer pricing law this year. And then uh, uh, this year, the disclosure form is required for, for the certain companies. Most of them are the listed companies in the Thai stock market. Right, right. Um, so Andrew, from your perspective, the Thai elite members that are currently outside of Thailand are finding it difficult to come back. Mm. Is there any discussion going on at a governmental level? Because I know you guys are the concessionaire for all of this. Um, have you got anything that you can say to elite members that are stuck outside of Thailand wanting to get back? Yeah, I mean, uh, at the moment, too, I do know that the Thailand Privilege Card Company and the Ministry of Health are uh, going back and forth uh, quite regularly to determine the, when, the, when it would be the safest to allow elite visa members back into the country. Um, I mean, the Thai, it's, it's really, and it changes day by day, so it's difficult to say. The Thai government uh, did just uh, uh, change their status on this, and they are allowing uh, some foreigners in the country at the moment, those work permit holders, those working in the medical industry, those seeking um, medical attention, as well as those who have uh, spouses in Thailand at the moment. Um, and they are talking about the next phase to come would allow maybe tourists from the, uh, the bubble countries uh, within possibly Asia to also start entering. But it's up in the air at the moment as to when uh, elite visa holders specifically will be allowed back in. Right. Hmm. Okay, I think that's pretty much it for, for today. Um, I'll just say to the... To the time and for those who registered and the whole thing and watch the recording at, at your um, at your leisure I just say at this point thank you to um, obviously to Andrew to she, Joe and to Kunchinapat for, for taking part in this um, virtual I think it was very useful I think we're on time as well which is great okay then guys well I think we'll, we'll call it quits there for today and um, just thank you very much for, for um, you know helping with getting us through this um, this webinar